Well, hello, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Thanks so much for joining us, whether here in Auditorium 2 or over in Auditorium 1 or online today. We're thrilled that you are uh, making it a priority to uh, worship with us today. My name is Jason, one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship Greenville. If you are a guest, I want to invite you to stop by guest services. It's in the commons area as well as the back corner here of Auditorium 2. Uh, at the conclusion of our service, there's going to be some friendly folks there. They would love to answer any questions that you might have about our church family. And uh, if this is your place, but you're looking to get more connected, you can stop by Next Steps, also in the Commons or in the back corner here of Auditorium 2. Uh, we talk about this regularly, like our mission as a church. Uh, we desire to be a community of grace, passionately pursuing life and mission with Jesus. And so, if you're desiring to link arms with our community of grace, I just want to say, come on, we would love to have you link arms with us. We're so glad to have you with us today. Uh, before we go any further, um, I taught last week over in Auditorium uh, 1, and um, <clears throat> I know I talked about how great it is over there because they've got some new carpet. And uh, they also had a really nice brass section uh, last week on the stage, and it sounded really good. And then, you know, we have worship planning meetings. And so in our worship planning meeting, I was told, you know, Jason, when you just address Auditorium 1 and all the great things going on there, the people in Auditorium 2, they might get their feelings hurt a little bit. They might feel a little left out. And so, well, here I am. And I think Auditorium 2 is great. I like all of you just fine. I don't even like Auditorium 1 more than you because that's not how it works around here. We're just one big church in a couple of different auditoriums. It's fine. And so I, here's what's great about Auditorium 2. It is properly uh, soundproofed. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. It's like so eerily silent. It's super awkward sometimes for us as communicators. I have like I <laughs> can I admit this? I can. Like I have conversations with myself while I'm teaching. Um, not so much in the first service. I'm pretty, I'm concentrating. Second service, there's a whole lot going on up here, even as I teach. Third service, like I'm not even here. But all of that to say, like it's so quiet in here. Like sometimes I'm teaching, like my stomach like growls. It will today. And I go, I think they all just, I think they all just heard that. And so those kinds of things are always going on. I think what it does mean, though, is maybe just, you know, a little more uh, laughter at the jokes would be great. I think we can work in guys in the back like a laugh track into Auditorium 2, so Auditorium 1 thinks that they're laughing over here. A few more amens or something like that, just at the appropriate time. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, all of that to say I love Auditorium 2, and I don't love Auditorium 1 more than that. Did you know that October is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. It is, October's Pastor Appreciation Month, and you're going, well, you're a pastor, should you be talking about this? And I can, and I'm going to. And uh, I'm gonna do it differently than I did back in the day. When I was working here years and years ago, uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, Matt and I would give out the top 10 things that we would like for anybody to maybe get us. And uh, then I was called into the office and said, you can't do that. And so um, I don't do that anymore. Although number one on the list has always been Augusta National. If anybody can get us around there, the other nine aren't important anymore. I'm older. That's fine. Anyway, all of that to say is Pastor Appreciation Month, and the reason I am bringing that up is because so many of you uh, have dropped us notes and words of encouragement, and from us to you, thank you. It's a joy to, to serve with you and to be a part of shepherding here. I love the fellowship staff team and the pastoral staff team. It's just a great crew, and you guys are a wonderful people, and I say that because I don't think that all pastors actually, at least I've had conversations with some at some other churches. I don't know if they always feel that way about those that they're shepherding and leading, and it is a joy to shepherd and lead here, and thank you guys for your kind words and your encouragement. 
As a matter of fact, pastors and wives were just away this past weekend from Thursday to Saturday. We went down to the um, beautiful uh, mountains of uh, northern Georgia and had a little retreat for just the pastors and their wives, and that was a wonderful time. I was just reminded again of what a joy it is to be a part of the team here. Now, this might come as a shock to some of you, but I actually don't love the great outdoors. Uh, as I just mentioned, I was traveling this past week, you know, mountains of northern Georgia, and it was. It was incredibly beautiful, and the trees were turning splendid and vibrant colors, but not one time did I think I would like to get out of this comfortable car and hike through those trees to the top of that mountain. Not one time did I think that. Like, my idea of great outdoors is four hours on a golf course with good friends, because I'm in the trees plenty when I do that activity, hiking, I'm looking for things, it's sufficient. However, um, years ago, when I was a student ministry pastor, I took five, uh, along with another buddy of mine, a student pastor, I took, uh, we took five guys, and we hiked a part of the Appalachian Trail. Crazy, right? Like, uh, slept under the stars, and would hike dozens of miles a day, in the majestic Shenandoah part of Virginia. And I hated it <laughs> the entire time I did. I really did. It's like you're having this whole conversation with yourself, like, is this actually the best baked potato I've ever had in my life, or am I just ravenously hungry? Like, these are the kinds of things that you think about when you're sleeping under the stars. I, here's what I was thankful for on that trip. I was thankful for the trail guide book that we had. Oh, side note, I need to throw this in. Some of you, as you hear me talk about hiking and how much I hate it and everything, you think, you think that you're the one that's gonna get me to like it. And so after the service, you're gonna wanna come talk to me about that. And I wanna save both of us some time. <laughs> I'm a 46-year-old man. I know what I like, and it is not hiking. So I'm not going with you. You're not gonna be the person that makes it go, this is one. I love your experience, but your experience won't be my experience. I just wanted to throw that out there. I said that last service, still had a couple people come up. It's amazing to me. It's like, do you not listen when the word of God is preached? It's not the word, anyway. Um, they gave me, none less in my notes. Uh, they gave me a trail guide uh, booklet, which was really helpful because it told me about the path that we were going to be taking, right? It let me know what was true about what we were getting ready to, to go see. It, it, uh, I say it this way. It imparted wisdom that enabled me to know how to navigate the trail. There was an um, understanding of what I was reading and processing that had implications for the next steps as we lived out in the wilderness, for putting into action what I was processing, for navigating the trails. As we continue our study through the letter of James this morning, we're looking at the last several verses of chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there if you would like. James has been talking about trials and difficulty and temptations that often come with those difficult seasons and the wisdom needed to navigate it all, right? Practical wisdom that the early church needed and that we need in 2022. Wisdom that includes our being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. We talked about that last week. That our action and reaction towards others and, 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 and the role of the word, the gospel, what that plays, how that plays in motivating us to put into practice what we know. Last week we said it this way, congruence 
is important as a follower of Jesus. What we say about who God is and who we are in him and how we are actually living our lives based on who God is and who we are in him, those things should match up. And as we continue on in chapter one this morning, I believe one of the things we're gonna be reminded of once again is this. As we truly hear from God through the word, That has implications and ramifications in regards to putting into practice what we are hearing and processing. That there is a doing of the word that comes from truly hearing the word. There is truth that we need to hear to bring clarity to our lives and to impart wisdom on how to navigate this life the life that he is calling us to, especially in the difficult seasons of life, especially as we endeavor to remain steadfast in the trials of life, which we all experience at different times. Maybe I could talk about it this way. Some of us sitting in the room today, or maybe if you're listening online, you will walk out of this place today um, different, changed, empowered, as a result of truly hearing the word of God. Uh, Not hearing from Jason, to be abundantly clear, but hearing from the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, there will be, as you walk out, a doing of the Word as the Spirit leads you and what it looks like for you to do the Word, because you've truly heard the Word. And at the same time, there will be others, potentially, who walk out of the room today, and it will be as if you heard nothing. And you might be thinking, well, that seems very pessimistic. But the truth is that there's only one way to hear, according to James. Um, In a sense, we are all hearing this morning. But just because you hear my voice and you hear the truth of the words delivered from the Bible doesn't mean you're actually hearing anything, which I think leads to this logical question. It's a good question. Uh, What does it mean to hear from God? How do we hear from God? Because I don't want to rush past this. There might be some of you here today and you're wondering, you've got questions. You're, you're wondering if Christianity, you're wondering if being a follower of Jesus is like most religions. And here's what I mean. Most religions, they have a leader, that leader writes a book, or they have a particular creed that they adhere to. So your question might be, is following Jesus, I just need to pick up a Bible, read it, study it, learn it, And it'll give me principles to live by as I navigate my life. I think what we've read in James and what we'll continue to look at is before we can hear the word, before we can understand anything about the word, before we can see the path of that the word is pointing us towards, before we can discern what is true, before we can respond in faith to what the word compels us to do, before we can do anything with the word, hear or respond, the word must do something in us. Charlie and I were talking about this the other day, and he was talking about how James has like a thread that you keep Uh, bringing back around to pull through to the next section of verses that you're looking at and processing. And I think that's definitely the case as we've been walking our way through chapter one of James. So again, for context and to tie together the last couple of Sundays and today, kind of this thread, I want to take a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, and go back. 
The word not only enables our hearing, but it also empowers our response to what we hear. So look back at verse 17, and it says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, there is no shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So just as a reminder, or maybe if you haven't been with us, here, here we go. The word gives us capacity to hear. James has shown us something profound about God, that he is the father of lights, that there is no turning with him, there is no shadow with him, there is no inconsistency with him. He doesn't change. That our father is a good, good father, and he gives good gifts, he gives perfect gifts. In fact, every good and every perfect gift comes from him, which then leads to a question, I think it's a logical question, how do we know that it's good? Is it good just because it went like you wanted it to go? What about when it doesn't go like you want it to go? Is it good just because you're happy? What about when you're not happy? Is it good just because you're comfortable? What about when you're not comfortable? Is he so good? I mean, this is definitely what these folks are processing through as James writes to them as a pastor who loves them and cares about them. Things aren't great for them. Very difficult, we've talked about that already. How's it good? Because out of his own desire, he brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, he gives us new life. He breathes life into us. He, and he does that. He does something. In, he does that of his own accord. He does that of his own desire so that we might have new life. Allow me to take just a moment and walk around a few other places to remind you and encourage you with what James is saying here. You don't have to turn there. You can jot it in your notes. You can read it at another time. The Gospel of John chapter 3. There's a guy by the name of Nicodemus, and some of you know Nicodemus' story, but if you don't, go give it a read. It's fantastic. He has the, Nicodemus is really, really brilliant. He has the Old Testament memorized. And you can tell, they have this dialogue. You can tell that Nicodemus is seeking in this dialogue with Jesus. He is empty. He's inquisitive. He's curious. And he looks at Jesus, and he says, there's something significant about you. You must be from God. <laughs> and Jesus responds with these words. I tell you the truth, you must be born again. So here's a guy who had heard the word. I mean, he has it memorized. He studied it. He's digested it. He knows it forwards. He knows it backwards. And the son of God, Jesus Christ, looks him square in the eyes and he says, none of that means anything unless you've been born again. You must be born again. That's not an imperative statement. That's an indicative. That means um, that something must be done to you. How much control did Nicodemus have over his birth? Zero. The one thing he needed was the one thing he had no control over. Uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. Here it is. Here we go. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4 says, to an inheritance that is imperishable and it's undefiled and it's unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. 
Verse five says, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So I just start here this morning to remind you, this is what God does. This is his work. And it is of his own desire And it is what he initiates, and it's what he accomplishes. It's so significant, because before we can do anything with the word, the living word must do something in us. The word of truth must breathe life into you, into me, into us. So when the word, at some point in time for so many of you, when the word of God was proclaimed, when the good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was proclaimed, the spirit of God, through the word of God, fell on you and breathed life into you. And once what you could not hear, you can now hear. What you once could not understand, you can now understand. And this is a good reminder for us. It's not just that you're smarter than everybody else. It's not just that you're better. What you once could not see, you can now see. And he's the one who did it, initiated it, made it happen. Thus, the living word makes us alive. That's the power of the gospel that I never want any of us to not be undone by or to take for granted. Or to walk in on a Sunday morning and you open up the scriptures and someone's going to teach the scriptures and the spirit of God through the word of God is going to speak to you. But that's because God has done something, which is amazing. Unless we forget, we discussed it last week about the word. Again, this kind of thread coming back. You go to verse 21 where James says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So the word is implanted in us. The implanted word is a result of what happens in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. When the word of God changes you, it now gets implanted into your life. It doesn't come to you and then leave you. Some of you maybe grew up in that tradition of the church. You're in him or not in him based on how great you're doing today. It's a really bad theology that'll wreck you. It comes to us, it changes us, it takes up residence in us, implanted. Receive it with humility, receive it with meekness. Jesus was looking at a group of men who were trying to kill him uh, back in the day, and this is what he said. He said, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you, John 8. I mean, they knew the words of the Old Testament. They were well-versed in the law. Yet, the word had found no lodging place in their hearts. Can I say it this way to you? I'm a little excited about it, but if the grace of God has landed on you, then the word of God has been implanted into you which means you have the Spirit of God within you. Therefore, you have capacity to truly hear the Word, to receive the Word, and then do the Word. Yeah, that's how, that's how it works. 
Why is it implanted? It's implanted because our hearts were made to live by his truth. Our hearts long for the truth of God because that's what we've been created in Christ to crave. It is our food. It is our drink. It is our life. That's why Peter also says, like newborn babes, we crave the word like milk. So by it, we can grow in our salvation. These words, they are not merely words, they are life. And our hearts have been reborn by the Spirit to crave, to need, to desire these words that are life. The Spirit of God dwells within us, working within us to desire nothing else but the word that leads to life. I say all of that because I think all of that is really important. It is this thread that gets us now to verse 22, which says this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Believe what James is articulating is truly hearing the word leads us to do the word. To truly hear the word is to do the word. To truly hear is willing to respond in faith. Hearing doing two sides of the same coin, I will live according to what I've heard. I will walk according to what I have received. The idea here of being deceived, it means to cheat. It means, um, it means to be deceived by false reasoning. It's a deception that would come from the thinking that they... They had done all that is necessary by simply hearing the word, when actually that's just the beginning. And he gives this picture, it's an interesting one, right, of looking into a mirror for the individual who hears and doesn't do anything with it. It's like looking into a mirror and forgetting what you saw. He's not talking about forgetting as in I can't remember what I look like. That's not the point. He's talking about forgetting as in disregarding what you see when you do look. So maybe a practical example for some of us dudes, you know, you like stand in front of the mirror and it's like a three second glance and you're like, yeah, this will do. <laughs> this will do for today. Go on about our business. Nothing changed. No action is taken. And so this looking at your natural face in a mirror is contrasted with verse 25, the mirror of God's word. Whoever looks into, um, that is to stoop down, to, to look intently. I think of uh, back in the day when my daughters were little and I would get down on their level and kind of look them right in the eyes very intently to communicate with them. No desire to turn away. And what are we looking at? The perfect law of liberty. Which can sound, I get it, like that can sound like a paradoxical statement. Law and liberty, like how does that, how does the law bring freedom? How does the law bring liberty? And I think I would just talk about it real quickly this way. True freedom isn't doing what you want, when you want, how you want. 
True freedom is being and doing what you were created to be and to do. So a fish that is out of water is not a free fish. A fish that is out of water is a dead fish. The law of liberty is this, that we were made to be in relationship with God and then walk in the freedom of that relationship by doing what pleases the Father. That is freedom. And it comes by way of peering into the perfect law of liberty, seeing who God is, seeing what he has accomplished in and through the person of Jesus, seeing who we are, reborn, a new heart, receiving the implanted word. That's the reason I go back to all of that. So that we are not every one of you that has a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. You have been empowered to walk in the ways of God, reflecting the nature and the character of God. That's for all of you that have a relationship, all of us that have a relationship with God through Jesus. All skate, all play, all swim. It's for all of us. And I say that because I think sometimes you convince yourself or other people try to convince you, whatever the case may be, but that's not true for you, even though you would say you're a follower of Jesus. It is. This is what has happened. And so what's the result of your doing from the hearing? You will be blessed. He's a good, good father. You will be changed. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of growing you. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of maturing you. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of strengthening you. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of softening your heart. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of empowering you to let go of anger and bitterness. Doing the word, not just hearing, is a part of turning apathy into a passion to make much of Jesus in the places that you do life. Doing and not just hearing will transform your relationships. It'll give you perspective on your trials. It'll lead you to joy despite what you might be walking through. You will be blessed. Yeah, this is what the word does. The living word revealed to us through the written word. Reborn, made new, implanted into our hearts, empowering us to walk in freedom, being doers of the word. And that order is so critically important. It's the reason I'm taking the time that I'm taking, not just jumping in on the doing part. Because the application of the doing part, like I know that the Spirit of God through the Word of God will speak to you in that, and there will be some doing. And your doing may look different than my doing, but there is a doing of the Word. But the doing of the Word must always come from a place of being. I am called to do but I do from a place of who I am already in Jesus Christ. The word has landed upon me. It has altered my life. It has, I was dead, I'm alive. It's been implanted into me, and now I respond from that. It's a be-do. And if you get the be-do messed up, like it is a train wreck. If you just lead from the do, there's, only, there's two ditches that you're going to potentially go into. One ditch is just one of hypocrisy and burnout and exhaustion. 
The other ditch is one of being an arrogant jerk face because you think you're doing pretty fantastic. Those are the ditches. So there is a call to do, but the call to do always comes from the place of be. And I would lovingly suggest to you that if you are truly being, there will be doing. I think that's what James is getting at. If you're truly hearing, then there will be the doing. So to look back and go, right now I'm just being, and there is no doing, I go, well, I don't think so. The being leads to the doing. The order is really important. Now you go, Jason, well, how would I know? Well, I'll throw out some questions for me, maybe apply to you. How do I know if this is true of me, that I'm truly hearing and then doing? Um, Real practical. Do you desire to hear from God and do what he says? And I would love for you to actually really ponder these for just a second, because I think sometimes it could be a real flippant, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. But think about it. Do you desire to hear from God and do what he says? Do you regularly look into his word where he reveals his truth about who he is, who you are in him, and how that motivates you to do what it is he's calling you to do? Do you desire to to become more like him? Do you want to walk in freedom from sin? Or is it like, I mean, maybe that one, but I don't know, this one's that one. Is what he has done for you in and through Jesus your motivation for all of those questions that I just asked? If you're saying yes to those. Do you desire to hear from God and do what he says? Yes, because of who I am in Jesus Christ. Be do. Hearing, doing. Do you regularly look into his word where he reveals his truth? Yes. Not because he's gonna love me more like me more, but because of who I already am in him. Truly hearing leads to truly doing. Do you wanna become more like him? Yes, not to impress him. He loves me and he cherishes me. He sings over me already. And so truly hearing, doing. Do you wanna walk in freedom from sin? Yes. Why? Because of who I am in him. Another way I could ask some of the same questions would be, are there areas of your life where you're currently living as though you don't need to hear from God? You're not interested in what he desires or truly his wisdom. I mean, I think that's one that we got to wrestle with sometimes, right? Like for some of you, if you're honest, you would go, well, here's the deal, Jason. It's like, I've said no, 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 no. And anytime I open up the word, it's right back to that same thing. And so I'm not interested in that. Just real practical questions. Truly hearing leads to doing. James continues to unpack it. This is what he says in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. A religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James, once again, it gets really practical. Remember last week, is like this real practical application, I think, of quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. And I've had some conversations with you all about how you're like practically thinking through that and implementing that into your life. James does it again here in referring to orphans and widows in addition to the call to guard our tongues, which we're gonna get the chance to talk about that even more in the weeks to come based on some other things that James is gonna say, so I don't feel like I gotta spend time there this morning. 
but to keep oneself unstained from the world, he's simultaneously taking, um, making reference to specific circumstances that are negatively affecting the community to which he's writing. But he's also addressing the idea that is still like, fast forward to 2022, like it's so applicable for us. Our confession and our action must align. Uh, I said it this way last week, that our orthodoxy and our orthopraxy, those things should match up. And I also mentioned last week, uh, just real briefly, and I think this morning's another time to talk about it, that this isn't just personal individual ramifications for what James is saying. It is. But individuals make up the church, big C, (laughs) And then we belong to local churches like Fellowship Greenville. So what he's talking about has ramifications for us corporately. So real practically here at Fellowship Greenville, the call, listen, the call to come alongside each of you that calls this place your home, if this is your church, the call to come alongside you and to encourage you and to equip you to be a doer of the word, like that really is what we're giving our lives to. I think I can speak on behalf of our staff team. Like this is what we're in on. A people who are hearing from the word and doing the word. That's why we're here. And to be really practical, we want to be intentional about caring for widows and caring for orphans. Just like James is encouraging the early church. A couple of things really quickly. We, I believe, have intentionally cared for widows here at Fellowship for years and years. And at the same time, because of some people hearing the word and then wanting to do the word. We're starting a new and intentional ministry to widows here at Fellowship Greenville in January, this coming January. So excited about that. There'll be more information coming on that. Some of you are widows. Some of you know widows really well. We partner here at Fellowship Greenville with a ministry in the Middle East that cares for widows in that part of the world. When you give here to missions, that's a part of that. Practical, tangible care. And we would also be the first to acknowledge that orphan care is complex and it's multi-layered. But at Fellowship, we've carefully chosen partners that we believe approach orphan care holistically, like Set Free Alliance, who's rescued close to 800 children from slavery in India. Back-to-back ministries, which many of you are familiar with. I've talked about it a lot. My family's been a part of back-to-back. It's a global orphan care ministry. To Samaritan's Purse, in which we do Operation Christmas Child. And just a little side note, you can pick up boxes starting next Sunday in the comments. To Miracle Hill Ministries, which offers private foster care licensing complete with resources and support as one way to respond to our state's foster care need. A state in which 1,800 children currently need foster care families. Miracle Hill also staffs several foster family homes providing safe families for foster kids to just providing lunch in the last few days for 230-something DSS workers around here. Why? Because there's 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 a practical doing of the word that comes when we truly hear the word. And it is our, it is, it is our heartbeat as a staff team and a pastoral team and an elder team here to walk with people, to see them grow in hearing and doing. That's what we want for you. I've spent the last 15 years of my life doing church planting and 
I was getting started back in 2007. I had a really good friend. He was a mentor. He kind of put his arm around me one day, and I remember the question. It kind of stopped me in my tracks. I was like, it's such a good question. I wanted to actually think about it. And this is what he said as we got ready to start the church. He said, what percentage of the people that will call this church home yet are doing nothing with their faith are you going to be okay with as the pastor? I said, well, that's a fantastic question. What's he asking when he asked that question? I believe what he was asking me as I look back is how many people are you going to be okay with if they just show up and listen, but they don't actually do? And here's the reason that's a challenge, because we do, and I'll talk about it from the North America side of things, like it, we are in an evangelical church culture that celebrates churches and pastors based on how many people show up in here. But the question we're asking and working through is, is the hearing, truly hearing, actually leading us all to be doers of the word? So I celebrate that we're growing numerically, right? I love that. The people are coming around. It's like, come on. I said it earlier this morning. Come on. If you're looking for a church family, come on. But the questions we're asking are around, like, are people actually stepping into community where they can be known and know others and have the opportunity relationally to be doers of the word? Are people intentionally being discipled and discipling other people? Are people taking advantage of ministries like Regen and Reengage that are built around actual life on life, putting into practice what it is that we're hearing and processing through? Are the majority of our folks who call this place home, are they serving both the church family but also in their communities, being doers of the word in the places where God and his sovereignty has put them? And... Are we continually coming back to the gospel as the motivation for calling everyone to be a doer of the word? So that's my heart. I think it's Charlie's heart and Jim's heart and the rest of the team's heart and the pastoral role and the elder role and our whole staff team role. We are all being shaped by someone or by something. I think about that a lot as a pastor. In my own life, but also like... I think you know this, but I'm going to say it. Like we do in the roles that the Lord has put us in, like we take very seriously the shepherding of people. And so I do think about where people are hearing things, that there are hundreds of voices attempting to convince us on how we should think and how we should live and how we should parent and that we need to be happy and how we can be secure and how we should choose our relationships and how we should do our friendships. The world we are swimming in, like it never takes a day off from projecting all of that upon us. And so one of the things I think through is like here at Fellowship Greenville, are people being shaped from the hearing of the word and then doing the word? Are they being shaped by voices and ideologies that don't come from the word of truth? say this, and uh, we can talk about it more if you want to. If you profess faith in Jesus this morning, but you're honest in this moment, your heart and mind, yet you neglect and disregard your relationship with the living word through the written word, that should give you cause for pause. Has the word been implanted in you? Have you heard the word of truth, the gospel? Has the word been implanted in you? then there is this call that we will live out what we believe. To truly hear the word is to do the word. And so for me, I close with this, like on a practical side of things, it's like I ask myself this question, you can ask it yourself. It's like, okay, if that's true, if, um, if what I behold I'm becoming, and I believe that to be true, if what I behold I'm becoming, 
then for me, that's like more truth, less social media. <laughs> for me, that's less, uh, more truth, less podcasts, more truth, less TV, more truth, less cable television, more truth, less opinion. Like all of that's out there and those things in and of themselves aren't bad things. That's not what I'm trying to say today. But for me on a practical level, this is part of what I'm thinking through. I want to truly hear the word and I want to do the word. What we behold, we become. So behold him because he has brought you forth by the word. He implanted the word. Therefore, we are free to be a doer of the word from a place of being in him. That's the church being the church. Would you pray with me? Super thankful this morning that um, we get the chance to conclude our time together by taking communion with one another. Father God, for the chance to gather together today with brothers and sisters in Christ to be reminded of the beauty and the hope of the gospel what it is that you have done, the action that you have taken, that it was your desire to bring us forth. We thank you. For the reminder that it wasn't just that you brought us forth, that you have implanted the word in us. It's not sometimes you're around and sometimes you're not. It's not that you swooped in and then went away. You brought us from death to life and implanted your word in us, which gives us capacity to hear and thus do. And I pray if there's anybody here this morning that's struggling, wrestling with this be do, that you and your kindness and your grace would continue to show them when every time they open up the scriptures, would you show them gospel motivation? Would you show them passage after passage where the authors, led by the Spirit of God, articulate, it is because of who we are in you that we do. But then allow us also to be honest before you in the doing. To really process through some of those questions. Do I desire to hear from you? Do I desire to obey you? Do I desire to turn from sin? Not so that you will love me, not so that you will like me, but because you do love me in Jesus. <laughs> and would you allow us as shepherds, staff, to joyfully, intentionally, come alongside any and everyone, especially that calls Fellowship Greenville home. To encourage and equip and fan the flame of doing from hearing. To be the church in the places you've put us for your glory, for your fame. In Jesus' sweet name we pray, amen.